Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a, eh, I don't know what this is going to be, six, seven. We'll see how far we got uh, because there, we have so much stuff that we need to talk about. We're going to just spread this over two episodes. Uh, and the biggest thing that I wanted to discuss even involves a team that isn't even in the Eastern Conference, but it also involves the team that is at the top of the Eastern Conference, and that is the Boston Celtics. We are going to do this in terms of record order in the Eastern Conference. And so that starts appropriately with the Boston Celtics, 28 and 7, 9 and 2 since the last 15 and 60. I will note these were compiled, I believe, before Sunday's games. Um, they're number one in the NBA in net rating, plus 11.5 per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass, which filters out garbage time. Second in offense, second in defense. That's really, really impressive. And then ESPN's BPI projects the Celtics to finish with 65 wins, which is not only number one in the West, it is number one in the whole NBA. And let me look it up. That is number one in the NBA by nine games. Yeah, BPIs always love the Celtics and acquiring Chris Porzingis and Drew Holiday would make anyone love them <laughs> even more. And so it's important to establish the context here because they did lose the game that we're talking about to the Thunder 127-123. And but since then, they've kept rolling right along. They just summarily dismissed the Jazz in a game that was never close uh, on Friday night. Second night of a back-to-back, go to Indiana where they lost in the in-season tournament. No problem. They control that one basically the entire way as well. Pacers never led in that game, even with Kristaps Porzingis going out early with uh, an eye issue that hopefully is nothing serious. He just uh, got poked in the eye a little bit. And and Nate, somehow the Celtics and Pacers are playing again on Monday for their 50th time this season. <laughs> well, and then the Pacers will play the Bucks right after that. So in any event, yeah, and that'll be, I, I unlike you, I kind of like when two teams play each other back to back because it has more of a playoff feel during the regular season. But let's turn now to that game on Tuesday. We are late getting to it. It wasn't really a chance to fit it in before this. But I was really fascinated by this, both because they are, I would say, two of the top three teams in the NBA, the Celtics and the Thunder, but also because they are two of the teams that I think are playing the most modern basketball, doing the most creative things with two creative coaches. So maybe we can start there uh, with some of the things that these teams uh, like to do, uh, anything that stood out to you at all over the course uh, of this one. The Celtics have an abnormally large number of talented defenders. And I mean, they're playing, generally they're playing five good ones out there. Maybe not five great ones, but they're playing five good ones out there. But I thought that OKC's guard-centric screening actions gave them some problems because 
Boston, they, they could switch that stuff kind of robotically if they wanted to, but that isn't necessarily what they wanted to do. And so that tied in for me with the other big one, which was it didn't really matter who was on Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was getting some pretty good shots. He ended the game with 36 points on 14 to 22 from the field. And he's a tough guy to handle because of his pace and his and like kind of the way he plays. We've talked about his more his his more intuitive handle at times before, how it's not planned out in the way that some other guys are. So I thought that OKC did a really nice job getting Shea loose. Not that he always needs the help. I did think there was actually one exception to your statement about Gilgis Alexander and whether anyone could guard him. But he was ridiculous in this one. 36 points, 14 to 22 from the field. Really was the strategic fulcrum of this game. Seven assists, zero turnovers. Again, the, how few turnovers he has is absolutely ridiculous. And they started with Derek White on him. They tried Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday got torched by Shea not, he, He's not fast enough like that that to me was the issue there so this is the biggest thing that stuck out to me about Shea and this is it stuck out to me too in a game we'll talk about later in this show which is Philly and New York that strength is so important on both offense and defense when you're facing the basket at this point and you're not supposed to be able to do it but there are guys who when someone is driving they can get a forearm on you and just nudge you just enough just make your arc a little bit wider so that now you can get an angle and get back in front and not get blown by do not try to put a forearm on Shea Gilgis Alexander because he's too slippery if you do that he will make you miss when you mm-hmm. try to put a forearm on him and he's just if he feels that contact he can almost like twist away from it while he's maintaining his dribble like way out in front of his body and he'll just like be by the guy who's thinking like oh I, I'll put a I'll kind of lean on this guy that'll knock him away I'll kind of get knocked back instead like he'll just like almost take that contact move his body away but still maintain his balance and be past the guy before he even realized what's happening so Drew couldn't handle him he kept rejecting the screens another thing and I recommend reading Anthony Slater's great piece about the Thunder offense that came out earlier this week that they'll do is they'll set the screens flat they'll run up from right behind the guy and it's not obvious necessarily which side the screen is going to be set all these guys know how to screen all of them drill it all of them are extremely mobile being a mobile screener is something that's really important because you can fake on one side get on the other side of the guy and he can't direct the ball and then whoever is guarding you they need to be where the ball is being directed well you can't direct the ball and then not only can you not direct it but then the guy isn't going to can't get there to be where it is in theory being directed either and when you consider how fast Shea is how quickly he can stop and start how reactive his handle is uh, as we talked about so that's how you get to 14 and 22 he was hitting the mid-ranger a little bit more he did hit the three to the tune of three for five but that was the most impressive thing to me was just how easily he was able to get by this ostensibly great one-on-one defending team the one exception Jason Tatum down the end uh, I thought they actually took out Drew Holiday Drew Holiday did not close this game Peyton Pritchard was going pretty well so they put Jason Tatum on him and the best guys I think Tatum I think Shea scored on him once on a drive early but Tatum was able to kind of contain actually no that uh Shea got him on a pump fake right at the beginning of that about six five minutes stint or so at the end of the fourth as Boston is making their run to cut an 18 point deficit down in the fourth but he had enough length that he's able to contain he's able to back off a little bit Shea can't just like shoot 
right over the top of him because that's the other thing that Shea can do. If you have like a quicker guy, I mean, he can just get to the nail and shoot right over the top of the guy or even closer than that. And then Tatum also is long enough and has quick enough feet that he's able to at least kind of use the angles and contain because once you get into Shea Gilgis-Alexander's body, like he's just, he's too shifty. You can't stay with him. Most guys, you want to get into the body. Instead, Tatum being able to lay off a little bit. The other guy who has always done a good job on Shea is Herb Jones, and he kind of does it a little bit similarly, again, using his length and but also still being pretty quick. Um, the other thing that really stood out was Josh Giddy, 23 points, 8 of 14, 4 of 7 from 3, though he didn't hit one after the third, had 6 assists, 3 turnovers, and Giddy was being guarded most of the time by Kristaps Porzingis or Luke Cornett, made him pay pretty well. A lot of those, his two-point shooting was drives you know basically the only two-pointer he ever seems to shoot these days that's not a layup in transition where he kind of lowers his shoulder almost slows down on a floater and shoots a contested floater over a, a smaller guy that you know is not that efficient of a shot but it went in in this game and also they weren't really able to attack him very much defensively either and giddy uh, did play 27 minutes closed the game uh in contrast to what's taking place in some of these but the thunder ultimately going 18 of 40 from three they are the best shooting team in the league probably an under story for them remember what happened who they hired at the end of or at the beginning of last season chip england yeah and yeah. josh giddy on on that front his three-point frequency per 36 has not gone up at all he's hovered around four per 36 every year but 26 percent his rookie year 33 percent last year 37 percent so far this year now we're not dealing with a high volume so far giddy's he's had like taken, a couple of good games lately and that's yeah. like gotten him up there yeah gotten him up there like he's at taken 89 all year and his free throw his free throw percentage has improved too but he's only josh giddy's only taken 44 free throws so far this entire season yeah. so it's one of those more like wait and see but it is it giddy's confidence taking the three in this one in particular that did really stand out to me and i'm really happy you brought up tatum because tatum i did think did the best job i cracked up in the first half because i had been kind of like as shay is doing good work on drew holiday who i, I again my my positive my theory positive is that he's not fast enough like shay's maybe it's the slippery kind of slippery plus speed um that they should go to jalen brown jalen brown guards him for one possession and shay just leaves him in the dust for it for an easy layup it's like okay now you don't want to build everything off of one possession especially in any one game but it did stand out and tatum is also i thought was an important piece of the story offensively where both tatum and brown you would think conceptually while new orleans, new orleans okc plays physically strong guys they do not have a lot of height at the forward spots you could think that intuitively is yeah maybe lou dort's going to guard one of those two at times and and his defense can be strong at times but isn't always perfect i thought that jalen brown had a weirdly off game some of which you can attribute to okc's defense but tatum i i i expect more from him like jalen brown having a having a bad game against a good opponent like that happens but tatum's 10 of 21 he did have a couple nice stretches one in the second quarter one in the fourth i i he didn't pop to me like to me obviously not only was Shea Gildas Alexander the best player on the floor Christoph Porzingis was the best Celtic on the floor yeah 12 of 18 from the field eight of nine from the foul line six offensive rebounds that was clearly an emphasis for Boston as they got 17 on the evening that's really the Thunder's one big weakness other than maybe defending in the post is their defensive rebounding and so uh, Porzingis did take advantage of that. He was mostly being guarded by Chet Holmgren. The Thunder tried a bunch of different stuff to slow him down. Uh, he only took three three-point attempts, made two of them, but 
that pick and pop was an ever-present threat as well. I thought defensively, though, Porzingis didn't have as much of an effect as I would have liked. I think he didn't contest that many shots around the rim. I think he only contested seven, but the Thunder got plenty at the rim. They get a lot of drives. I thought, if anything, you know, maybe he just ended up sticking too close to Giddy, and it was a little bit different because Giddy spends more time above the break than some of these guys that the Celtics like to put their centers on that are not the opposing center. And then, obviously, Holmgren's uh, ability to pick and pop uh, or drive a closeout was also a bit of an issue for them. Uh, Likewise, I thought Holmgren, though, because he was guarding Porzingis, he did have four block shots, but he only contested seven shots around the rim in the game as well, which, considering he played 33 minutes, is actually a low number for him because he has this insane rate where he contests over 50% (laughs) of shots that the opponent takes at the rim when he's on the floor. So neither center was able to have quite the level of impact come to expect from them because in part of the shooting of the other center. Part of what made this matchup so intriguing to me conceptually, and then you really did see this bear out, is that it's not just that both of these teams play credible shooters at the five. You brought up how Porzingis and Chet Holmgren stretched each other out when they were guarding each other, though that wasn't always the matchup. It's that both of these rotations involve at least willing shooters. They're not always the greatest and depending on the given game and everything like that. And there were various moments where it was like, you know, Horford maybe getting a drive or like with Cornette and everything else. And so that's a part of why to me these teams are so intriguing and so modern is that you're doing. I mean, I remember harping back on this when Porzingis was on the Mavericks. Having a four spacing center does not allow you to play a Michael Cade Gilchrist. It allows you to make life easier on everybody by playing shooting everywhere. Well, and it's also helpful. Uh, we mentioned the Chip England factor, if that indeed is what it is, of Lou Dort becoming a guy that it, he was only one of seven from three in this game, but he's not someone that people just let shoot anymore. He's shooting over 40% for three on the season. And so he wasn't an option to say put Kristaps Porzingis on him necessarily. I, I, I still, I personally still think they could have but i understand the point yeah i I think it would have been interesting Uh, so but i want to get back to holmgren when they did switch the pick and pop and it was holmgren garden tatum i thought chet holmgren had absolutely no problem guarding jason tatum agree on the perimeter Uh, i i don't think he got beat by anyone on the perimeter all night honestly and that probably would have been a situation where they should have just tried to move it elsewhere rather than try to attack holmgren one-on-one now some of that was late clock but holmgren unless you're beating you're beating with power or you're just an unbelievably quick player like he's really good moving his feet on the perimeter even better than i thought he would be there's a a play where he blocked a damian lillard step back two-pointer in preseason and you're like oh this is this is pretty impressive here uh and then on the offensive end he also was three or five from three didn't overdo it offensively but he did have seven assists they ran some more stuff through him and on a couple of drives he's able to get to the elbow and shoot a fadeaway late clock uh, over a guard and then he also was able to go right at porzingis on a closeout and pump fake him out of his shoes uh, and get a layup as well so now chet hasn't really done much posting up necessarily but i do think that he could just end up using his length and long strides in those sort of circumstances and he just has a really soft touch also so as teams try different tactics against the thunder as this team matures as he matures i do think there could be something there for him at least against mismatches to attack even if it's not you know some straight post up against a smaller player that's stagnant and i trust the thunder to find him ways to use his size that aren't necessarily that uncreative Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because... 
my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear 
formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Something else I really enjoyed about this game is that Derek White is still one hell of a defender. He's having a, a great great season overall. There isn't really a great player for him to guard on the Thunder because they play so large on the back line. White had some awesome defensive possessions, or transition defensive possessions, as you clarify, where he like kind of got back and contested a shot and did everything else. And Derek White, more so than almost any guard, can be impactful without a specific matchup. But that is one of the ways that these teams challenge each other. And we're probably not going to see a playoff series between these two for a little while. I'm not writing it off for this year. But some of those kind of like personal matchups, styles makes fight stuff, unusual with these two teams. Yeah, and Derek White was 5 of 9 from 3. And he's turning into one of the better shooting point guards in the league at this point. I mean, some of these shots that he's hitting, he's like shooting it off an Iverson cut, like a number of them where he's just like just barely backed up beyond the three-point line off the ball. He's not shooting him off the dribble as much, but in terms of his movement before the catch, he's able to get them off very quickly. He was huge in the comeback as they got back into contact late after being down, I think it was six minutes remaining down at 18 and had some chances to get it to one possession late. Defensively, I thought it was interesting that the Celtics did actually go after Shea Gilgis-Alexander a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Shea got a poke away on Jalen Braun early, but I thought it was not a good defensive game for him overall. One steal, but just had a lot of gambles, either trying to like poke the ball away from behind and giving guys a driving lane, wild gambles in the passing lanes, going for pass fakes and flying out of position. And then there are also a couple of times that bigger players were able to go at him and get an advantage so I, I thought he was going a little crazy for steals. The Thunder, their transition game is great. They forced the most turnovers in the league. Right now, Shea is leading the league in steals basically by almost a steal per game, which is nearly unprecedented. But in this particular game, I thought that the Boston did well to not turn it over to him and also attack him at times. I also wanted to take a bit to praise Joe Missoula. Uh, I, I don't think that he has as many tough rotational decisions to make, considering this is the deepest or not the deepest. It's the best roster in the NBA and their guys have generally stayed healthy. But I noticed during this contest that he was putting their more limited players in positions to succeed. And what I mean by that is. Sam Hauser, Peyton Pritchard, Luke Cornett, not as good as the rest of the Celtics who are in the rotation. 
But the the Celtics always had a theory of the lineup. They very I don't think they ever had all three of those guys on the floor together, at least not that I can recall. And so, you know, Hauser's out there with other guys who can run the offense. I think at one point it was Tatum and Derek White who were out there. And so, like, they're getting Hauser good shots. Peyton Pritchard is playing with at least one of the forwards out there. And it is, as I said, easier for Missoula to make those decisions. But having a, a group that just basically has solid theories of the lineup for all 48 minutes pretty consistently is a huge competitive advantage. And I also credit Missoula. It's much more difficult for him than Mark Dagnall, who is kind of developing his coaching in obscurity on a young team where, with a Thunder culture. Everyone kind of grew up there. A lot of these guys are tryhard guys that the Thunder kind of made. And a lot of the unorthodox stuff that he does, like he's been able to develop it in obscurity and now it's been working the last few years. Missoula, he jumped into just pretty much the opposite situation. Some of what they'd been doing had evolved under Ime Udoka, such as trying to keep the big out of the main pick and roll action. But he was taking over as a young coach, a veteran team. They've had a bunch of guys coming in and out and he does some funky stuff and his guys have clearly bought in and you see stuff like Luke Cornett, not exactly the most fleet of foot. And so he's spending a lot of time guarding an Aaron Wiggins or a Josh Giddy out there. And Luke Cornett is not going to like wow you with his perimeter defense, but Josh Giddy drives by him and Luke Cornett peel switches all the way into the corner. Like he, <laughs> right. he actually executes what he's been taught to do even if he and just simply competing and executing fulfilling your assignment you know i'm sure luke cornett feel not that he's like in position to tell the coach to fuck off or anything where he, he is in his career but uh, he a lot of guys are being put in unfamiliar positions by joe missoula right like it's uh, drew holiday or jason tatum has to guard the other team's big so they can keep porzingis out of the action and and things of that nature and these guys to their credit have embraced it but missoula also has just just a ton of confidence in his coaching and what he thinks is right and what's he, what he wants to do. You know, that really came clear when I interviewed, or I shouldn't say I interviewed him, but I asked him a couple of questions at the presser after they had that ugly loss to Golden State. And he's just like, no, our process is good. We're doing the right things. Like at one point he got like a little annoyed with another reporter for just insinuating that like they weren't doing enough attacking the basket or something uh, and saying that the other team had no rim protection and they had a, a bunch of big blocks. So I, he is, he has a lot of confidence in what he's doing. And I think particularly even more so this year. And so yeah, the Celtics lost this one, but they have just continued to dominate 26 uh, and seven. I mean, it seems very likely they're headed towards the number one seed and uh, a 61 season this year year i one other note i had i am a little concerned about the jump shot of jalen brown he was 0 of 8 from three in this one Mm -hmm. but and 4 of 18 from the field with four turnovers he just he used to shoot more on the way up you'll remember that his shooting was a real revelation his terrible shooter in college shot 29 for three in college i was a believer because i'd seen him shoot in other settings and it looked okay but he's shooting like so much on the way down now like he was he shot more on the way up when he first started he's had some like close to 40 percent from three seasons but last couple years it hasn't been that good and even his mid-ranger like he really shoots it on the way down like he used to be pretty good with that as well so it seems like he's getting a lot of his stuff in transition these hard drives on the right wing but if anything he seems and they have better spacing than they ever had if anything it seems as though he's regressed some as a ball handler and a shooter jalen brown in this one four for eight in the paint oh for ten on jump shots including the twos that he the two-point jumpers that he missed that is definitely a concern one other thing i want to mention from okc's 
perspective. Mark Dagnall played 11 guys in this game. Jalen Williams didn't log any minutes in the first half, but then played eight in the second. And I continue to love what Isaiah Joe does for the Thunder. I don't know that he should close games. It is really context dependent. He did play a little bit late, but not only being an adept three-point shooter, but being able to kind of move within the offense and not really take anything away. He has his flaws defensively, but I just, I love having someone like him in OKC's rotation. Actually, he'd be somebody that would be very useful for Boston. Yeah, I Pritchard and Hauser kind of play that role as well. But yeah, Joe being a guy, when he's in the game, to just be like, they're not like, oh, we'll give him a different look. Like he's almost their primary pick and roll screener, particularly when they go with Kenrich Williams at center. You know, they ba- barely played Jay Will in this one. And uh, Vasily Misic also played for OKC. Mm-hmm. He was one of five, uh, but did have five assists and wasn't was able to hold up on the defensive end. Yeah, it was interesting that you had six guys off the bench each play between eight and 17 minutes. Uh, yeah, J-Dub didn't have the best game with five turnovers. I, I thought he dribbled into traffic a few times, but he had three steals. I thought his defense on Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown really was not able to get anything going against him. And then he hits the biggest shot of the game to put the Thunder up four, preventing Boston from ever getting a shot in the air to tie it. Knocked Jason Tatum switched on him and he just like went right through Jason Tatum for an easy short ranger. And yeah, all right. I think that's pretty much everything that, that I had on this one, but two really fun teams, really modern teams with the creative coaching, really creative players so this was one of the best games of the season even if it didn't end up being within a possession at the end boston came about as close as you can without getting a yeah. without getting a shot up that could tie or take the lead we're going to spend less time on the milwaukee bucks in part because we did a gamer on them on that super fun bucks celt spurs game apologies um recently but they are 25 and 11 7 and 4 since the last 15 60 Eighth in net rating, third in offense, 20th in defense. We'll talk about that a little bit. BPI projects them to finish 53 wins, which would be second in the West, their current standing as well. They are going to make the playoffs. And as I mentioned, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. There was a little bit, I don't know if you even want to call it news, but Giannis a little bit more forward. We've seen that from the Bucks after their loss to the Houston Rockets, which was the nightcap on Saturday. They lost 112-108, a game that wasn't close early but got closer late. And it's interesting because Giannis was, you know, talking about how they, you know, some of the stuff that they weren't doing. But this was not like, I don't, I didn't watch as much of this game. I was actually, I believe I was, you know, I was watching other stuff. But it, it is notable how much the Bucks have been talking. Yeah, and Giannis even was like, everyone's got to be the be better. The equipment manager needs to wash our uniforms better. I was like, hey, leave him out of the journey. He's doing a great job. But the quote was, offense is going to be there some nights, and some nights it's not going to be there. And they only put up 43 points in the first half. And it was interesting that they put in Andre Jackson Jr. for Malik Beasley to start the second half when it was really the offense that was killing them. But I think they felt like they just needed to be better defensively on a night when they didn't have it on the offensive end. So Giannis says your defensive effort has got to be there and defensively our effort was not there there was no pride guys were just driving the ball straight line drive getting to the paint over helping shooting threes offensive rebounds there was nothing this was not the milwaukee bucks this is not who we are kind of think it might be who they are Uh, i mean they did just trade for damian lillard and damian lillard his defense can wax and wane and there's been a whole lot of waning yeah now Giannis continuing 
Third quarter, we were better. Fourth quarter, we were better. We won both quarters. We went out there and competed. We make it harder. Pre-switch, fronted the post, put our hands in the ball, make it tough for them, got every rebound that we could. We made it tough. That's who we are. And they almost were able to come back and when they ended up losing by four in the end. And Giannis is correct that it's tough to score 130 or 140 every night. Can you do it four out of seven nights? in the playoffs uh, maybe so uh he also said that certain people weren't playing hard and that's uh, who needs to be out there i don't know if that was a shot directly at, at beasley they did start andre jackson the second half as i mentioned uh he says we cannot die on screens we die on screens including myself that's why i keep saying including myself i'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus I mean, so I don't it, think he's it, trying it, to throw anyone individually. He's just trying to throw everyone under the bus, including himself, <laughs> including himself. Now, uh, th- I went and looked at it. I was like, oh, maybe their problem was transition. And it wasn't really. I mean, they gave up eight transition possessions per synergy in the first half to the Rockets, four in the second half. That's not really that bad. Uh, Especially for, for them. For where they've been. I did go and look because I had seen on film that Damian Lillard is just really bad as a transition defender. And we talked about that in the Knicks game as well, where he just, he's not a great communicator. He lets guys get behind him in transition for runouts. He's kind of more focused on picking the ball up than necessarily making sure that there's nothing behind him. He just seems to make a, a lot of mistakes. And of course, part of it is just that he doesn't have the stature to be a deterrent back there as well. And yeah, I did note that in particular, the Dame on Giannis off minutes have been rough. They're allowing opponents to run on 44% of Bucks misses. Yikes. Giannis is off the floor and Dame is on, which is just astronomical number. That's even higher than the 40% that they give up normally. And yeah, so they, they have to be better there. But yeah, I mean, Malik Beasley and Damian Lillard are their starting guard. I mean, that's just, you can only go so far there. Well, and Speaking the, of Lillard, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's exactly where I was going to go is one yeah. of the other concerns. And this was a huge factor in that Spurs game that we talked about. Lillard's two-point shooting is way, way down from last year. Which is surprising because this is a team that has more spacing than any team that he's ever played on, in theory. Uh, but yeah, he's back down around 50% from two. 57% from two was a massive career high. Uh, now, you'd expect that there's going to be some drop-off just in his overall talent level, uh, being a year older. And I think last year was, in some ways, kind of an outlier for him. And maybe if he had played the entire season, his numbers wouldn't have looked quite as gaudy as they did. But it is kind of weird. You would have thought, oh, well, he should be having you know the most sufficient season of his career because he won't be taking his difficult shots. And he actually is not taking his difficult shot. His usage is down. He's taking way fewer threes per 36, 11 last year, nine this year. Uh, free throws are down, but still the second high of his, highest of his career in terms of uh, per 36. Giannis, however, he is at his most efficient right now. I, I looked at this after I it, it came up uh, on the pod on Friday. 65% true shooting. And a big part of it, which is interesting, and I've noticed this again watching him, shooting 48.5% from the upper paint, 3 to 10 feet, and taking a career high 25% of his shots from that range. And he's 15 to 35 on hook shots. And, and the, the reason that's such an important shot for him is just you can't get to the rim all the time. Sometimes you're not going to be facing the basket you're going to have to post up a smaller player and to get to that shot and have it be something reliable this is he basically spent the last two seasons not being particularly reliable from anywhere outside of the immediate basket area and while his jumper has just been terrible still he's at least found something to get up close to 50 percent from that three to ten foot range and that's that's all he needs I, I think he's now is it just luck that he's making more of these shots he is taking more of them 
he's exchanged a lot of his face the basket jumpers four shots from that range. So I, I think that's all very much a good thing for him. Three data points that I think are extremely important for Antetokounmpo so far this year. One, three-point attempts per 36, dropping from, he hovered around four for a while. Actually, five and a half is the highest he's ever had. Down to three last year, 1.8 so far this year. And when you're not making them and you're not changing the way a team defends you, I've been talking about this for years, it's leaving something on the table for him. So that's one important data point. Number two, shot 65% on free throws last year, up to 68% this year. That's still below his career average. It's still below what he did in the year that the Bucks won the title. But remember, he was good free throw shooting in their run that year. But when you get to the line with the volume he does, even 3 4% can make a huge difference. The other one, 60% from two last year, had been around that the year before, up to 65 now. I don't know if that 65 is going to hold, but it is a huge reason why he's having the most efficient season of his career so far. And it's also pretty remarkable. He's on pace for his second highest dunks per game Mm. of his career. The biggest one when he just was a ridiculous revelation was the first year that they brought in Brooke Lopez and stopped playing a center. And he had almost 300 dunks that season. So 3.9 per game. He's averaging 3.3 this year, which is the second highest of uh, his career. And when you consider that he's not as athletic as he was back as a 23, 24-year-old, that's also pretty remarkable. Shows that he's been better, but also obviously that there's more shooting and less defense around him. Nate, since since I hadn't, you you made me look at this, but but just by you mentioning it now, 24.6% of Giannis's field goal attempts that year, the year he had 279 dunks, were dunks. 24.6 for a high-volume scorer. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, him, him and Shaq, right, are the two most prolific. Uh, Dwight Howard was probably up there, too. But, uh, yeah, so Bucks, you know, it's trouble in paradise to some degree. Uh, I mean, it seems like this is just kind of what it's going to be. They may be a little bit less lucky in close games going forward, but Philly is struggling as well. That's going to be very interesting to see. I, I think home court in a two three series between those two would be if not dispositive extremely important Kohler smart toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness sculptural forms intuitive technology and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing heated seats and warm air dryers for peace of mind and convenience there are touchless lids seats flush and a self-sanitizing bidet wand now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. Making your cat happy is a number one priority. Priority number two is keeping a clean litter box. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter helps you do both. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter traps waste at the surface with less crumbles and absorbs more waste and odor compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Litter at a store near you today. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Speaking of Philly. Yes. 
The 76ers are the have the third best record in the Eastern Conference, 23 and 12 on the year, five and five since the last 15 and 60. That is a concern. We'll talk about how and why that happened. They are second in the NBA in net rating, in part because they are one of they're I believe one of only two teams to be top five on offense and defense. They are fifth on offense, fourth on defense. That is yeah, that is correct. They are the only two teams that are top five in both. BPI projects them to win 52 games, which will be third. And game we want to talk about, though, unfortunately for the Sixers, is a game they lost. A game that I've watched a little bit of because I was at Chase Center waiting for the Warriors game to start. But when Joel Embiid was was available to play, you know, the Knicks have, have, have had some good ones, but they've also had some shaky games. And this one wasn't close. No, it really wasn't. And it looked early on like Philly was going to run the Knicks out of the gym. They get going in transition. Tyrese Maxey is getting off, particularly in transition. And then the Knicks completely turned it around. It was Miles McBride, of all people, who makes four three-pointers in the second half of the first quarter to turn it around. Knicks lead by four and then go crazy in the second. Jalen Brunson, particularly at the end of the second quarter, starts hitting a bunch of step-back three game to the rim they didn't have anyone who could guard him it was a 41 25 second quarter for new york they led by 20 neither team could score in the third and then the knicks really blew him out philly had gotten within eh, like they cut it close to 10 a couple of times but then quentin grimes went off in this first part of the fourth quarter josh hart was plus 46 yeah. in 30 minutes he also had six assists i thought he had a wonderful passing game also he, he, he also had 15 rebounds yeah in 30 minutes i mean that's that's pretty incredible it was a low energy game for philly it didn't help that Embiid sprained his ankle the same ankle that had been bothering him and it kept him out he would then miss the second night of the back-to-back against the jazz which philly also lost at home on saturday but Embiid sprains his right ankle just like almost walking to the elbow to try to set up a play which was uh, a turnover one of his six as they tried to post up Kelly Oubre against uh, Dante DiVincenzo and Embiid uh, airmailed the pass out of bounds and I thought one of the really interesting matchups of this game uh, there are actually two of them of the small forward guarding the point guard Nick Batum guarding Jalen Brunson and then OG Ananobi guarding Tyrese Maxey and I thought Maxey actually even though he was negative 28 I don't he didn't play great defense obviously but I, I thought he was their most effective offensive player. I didn't think Joel was able to do that much, maybe in part due to tweaking the ankle. But Maxi was nine of twenty, but uh, nine of thir- or uh, sorry, eight of thirteen from two, also mm-hmm. eight of ten from the foul line, nine assists. I thought he largely was able to beat OG Ananobi. You know, that's and you know, the Knicks are going to play a conventional pick and roll defense. Like they're not going to switch. I think it's going to be a an adjustment for Ananobi to be just not switching much. Now, I thought they actually could have considered switching a little bit more. I also thought they could have considered trying something more Boston Celtics style to keep Hartenstein out of the action. Put like Julius Randle on Embiid, have Hartenstein guarding like Nick Batum. Uh, for yeah, you example, pro- you'd, you'd but- probably want him on Batum over Ubre or Harris because those guys can take their shots. But then there are other Philly configurations where there are guys you can put them on. No, absolutely. And I thought Ananobi the couple of times that they did have to late switch on those plays. I thought he did hold up pretty well uh, against Joel, uh, and it would have looked even better if they didn't have the center on. <laughs> 
switch to Tyrese <laughs> Maxey. Um, but uh, overall, the Knicks defense was very good. To only give up 23 three-point attempts, yeah, Philly was 6 out of 23. That's pretty rough. But the Knicks forced 14 turnovers. Whenever you're forced, like if you can get that Joel turnover number to 5 or 6, that's, uh, I think, more indicative of how he's being defended in a lot of ways. And he also was 10 to 23 from 3. And Isaiah Hartenstein, I thought, was awesome in this game. Fantastic. 26. And, yeah, yeah. And ahead. Hartenstein wasn't conceding that much. Like that's one of the one of the interesting questions is like, how do you defend? Joel Embiid. I thought he was doing a really good job just making life hard on him. Two steals, two blocks, and only four fouls in 35 minutes. Eight of nine from the field, and he had five assists. Some of that was running through the handoff game with Brunson, Hart, DiVincenzo. But there are a couple times, because the way Philly is going to defend that with Embiid, they're not going to bring Embiid out of the paint on those handoffs. So if Philly, who I thought had decent ball pressure throughout a lot of the game, like Batum was working hard defensively trying to deny Brunson, sometimes there just wouldn't be a handoff. So Hardenstein would be like, all right, I'm going to just go at Joel Embiid. He scored on twice. He hit a floater on him and a layup when Joel was just kind of standing there and he's like just not quite ready <laughs> for uh, to actually be attacked by Hardenstein. Um, let's see what what else stood out from this one. Any like oh. any other like box score stuff you thought was interesting? Yes, um, Precious Chua full on back up center for the New York Knicks. Jericho Sims is back from that ankle sprain that we that we were covering during the NBA strategy stream during the jump ball. But Achua, you know, he plus 10 in 13 minutes now. I don't think he was the reason necessarily for that plus 10. But him out there, I'm glad you brought up Deuce McBride, who is taking on more of a playmaking role now that I now that quickly is in Toronto. And I still remain skeptical that like if this team has significant aspirations that you want to rely on that, I would bring in one more ball handler than they have. Um, one other note from the Knicks perspective, I want to I'll do their stats in a second, but Right in Archer Giacono got his contract. We're right near the cutdown date. His contract is going to be fully guaranteed by the Knicks. Yeah, with the trade for Chua, they brought back Jericho Sims as the third center. Really just was not a need for Taj Gibson if they were going to move on from someone. The Knicks, you might say, hey, it's just money, but they are hard capped. If they wanted to make a big move, having Gibson's salary guarantee could be a little bit more difficult. And not having him on the roster, you know, you could always cut him before the trade deadline if you wanted to, but not having him on the roster does allow them to have four. 14 slots and then they can do a one for two trade or or something like that an unbalanced trade roster wise if they needed to couple other thoughts oh wait can i do the next stats because i know we're going to forget um 21 and 15 on the season seven and four since the last 1560 they've moved in i'm going to get into their place in this in a second seventh in in the nba net rating plus 4.1 eighth on offense 14th on defense we've seen some some growth there over time, projected to be the five seed in the East, 48 wins, and BPI gives them a 93% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, the Knicks did go nuclear from three in this one, but they got up 41 attempts. So when Philly's at their best, they don't give up uh, as many threes. And Grimes getting up nine threes, Brunson getting up nine, DiVincenzo six. Uh, he was four of six. McBride was four of six as well. McBride is very impressed. I mean, he comes in with a reputation as a non shooter. I think his career numbers, he might be under 30% from three. Um, he He's someone I always thought could play, and he is. He really competes defensively. He played back 
backup point guard. He's not a great dribbler. You know, he's not going to run pick and roll. He's kind of, if he can get it across half court, you're probably happy. But I was very impressed with his aggressiveness from three. He hit a, a couple of like, not quite step backs, but he had like a, a flyby. Like he, he was firing. He wasn't coming out there and just like, oh, they're going to leave me open. And like, all right, you know, Patrick Beverly style, I, I just, I guess I just have to take it. He was very aggressive and obviously made those four in a row at the end of the first that really changed the momentum of the game quite a bit. Uh, so he he certainly has the Malachi Flynn is back now, but he only played one minute. And I think as long as McBride can continue to play reasonably well, that's going to be his job at backup point guard. Anything else from the Philly perspective that stood out to you? I didn't have anything else that really spoke to me. You know, uh, this this has been a big bugaboo, right? Even even when they the Knicks had Randall and Brunson off the floor, for example, the Embiid only minutes are just have been pretty rough at times for Philly, mm. where it's just Embiid. Marcus Morris, House, and Beverly all out there together. Like, that's that's pretty tough. Maybe you should have Tobias Harris out there and feature him more. Harris only played 24 minutes, was two of six from the field, but they really just don't have, and that's no shooting, no ability to drive to the basket, and no passing basically, and it's just, it's asking a lot of Joel, particularly against a disciplined defense like the Knicks, who did a really nice job of loading up off the guys that they knew couldn't shoot. Uh, Like, they're gonna, you can't trot that lineup out at the end of the first quarter in the playoff game against a real team. Like, they're gonna get smoked. Along that front, Jaden Springer, he had a rough one for seven in this one, played 221 minutes, which is still a small amount, but also more than he's played in any other NBA season to this point. 43% true shooting so far. Mm. Yep, it's been pretty ugly. And like he's he got a couple of turns on Brunson and and was able to stay with him, but the the offense is pretty rough. I think his only the only shot he made might have been tipping in his own missed layup. Uh, The Knicks, they really, other than Brunson and Randall, everyone else in their rotation now is pretty athletic for their position, has good size and defense. Uh, like Quentin Grimes gets into guys. DiVincenzo is a little small, but he definitely makes up for it with his athleticism. How hard he tries hard now, not having to play as much backup for, although he still does. They, you didn't see a ton of Ananobi with the backup unit, uh, but, uh, and then, you know, they're always going to play a center. Hardenstein has, has good size as well. Randall was a uh, one for 11 in this game. Uh, and that, that was pretty rough. Uh, even as the Knicks were going crazy, making nine of their first 15 threes, uh, he was over three. So that, that is it's just it seems like Randall he he didn't have the same level of aggression and I think a part of that is because Embiid is just hanging out around the rim all the time so Randall just not in attack mode the way he normally would be so he's settling for mid-rangers trying to draw fouls so a lot of jumpers I think the one thing the one shot that he made was a, a layup in transition so his half-court offense was good he also had four turnovers and five assists and Ananobi was three for 11 here as well they ran a few more things for him but he He's, he's not really very quick. He doesn't change direction that well. His handle is pretty suspect. He's never going to make a pass either. So he can't really get to where he wants to go. It was easy to keep him on one side. He's not really comfortable dribbling with his left hand. You know, I think he's going to have matchups against smaller guys. And if he could just break out enough of a handle to where he could just back down a smaller player and not be at risk of losing it or just make a rudimentary pass out of a double team, like he does have the physicality to be effective in theory, but you didn't see very much from him as a scorer in this one. He looked much better in his first game with the team when it was more corner threes, cutting to the basket along the baseline and finishing uh, the on-ball stuff with him. We've been hearing about this for a long time. There's been a lot of 3 and D type of players 
that have made big advancements in their on-ball skills, but time's running out for him at age 26 to do that. But that's fine. He's still a really good player. We're going. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures. And afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Nate, there's a reason why I wanted to do this in record order, and it's because I wanted to set a stage for how bizarre the Eastern Conference is right now. I'm not sure there's been a lot of attention to this. Also, it's early, so we don't want to get too too nutso about it. Boston, I'm going to focus this on losses because it's kind of easier to convey with just a single stat. Boston, leader right now, only seven losses. They're four games clear of the Bucks with 11. Then Philly's right behind them with 12. Then the four through eight seeds in the East all have identical 15 losses right now. They don't all have the same number of wins, but they all have 15 losses. All of them are five games over 500 or better. And then there is this gigantic drop off because every other team in the East is five games under 500 or worse. So you have a five game gap between the Pacers heat, however you want to define it, and the Nets and Bulls. It is super weird. It would be kind of more fun and bizarre if it were back to an eight and 18 playoffs. But that margin, how tight these teams are from four to eight, and then how big the gap is from eight to nine, just really stuck out to me. It's why I wanted to do it in this order. Yeah, there's five teams within half a game of each other right now. So who are we saying is number four in that case? I mean, you could argue it's it's a couple of different teams. I would actually go of the 21 and 15 teams. I would the Knicks have the best net rating, so I would go with them probably, but we've already covered them. So next in terms of net rating is the Orlando Magic. The Magic are 20 and 20 and 15 on season as of when the stats were compiled. Plus two net rating is 13th in the league, so that is ahead of the other team in question here, which we'll get to in a couple minutes. The Magic are 21st in offense, but still 5th in defense. They are 44 and 38, BPI projection 44 and 38, which will be 8th in the East. And 65% chance per BPI of making the playoffs. One other note, um, we're going to talk about a few different kind of games and stats with them. Keeping an eye on this, that Wendell Carter did not play in their most recent game, which was... Trevor, that was a it was a a win over the Hawks on over OT win on Sunday, but so that meant the return of Goka Batadze to the starting lineup, and Batadze had eleven and fourteen with two blocks in twenty eight minutes of action. Yeah, they also had games where they started Mo Wagner mm-hmm. in the stretch, and we noted last week that Franz went out at the start of the Sacramento game, only played five minutes with a sprained ankle, and early indications are that it could be some time for him. But uh, they've been playing some really interesting games at Phoenix, 
at Sacramento, at Golden State, and then at Denver. They lost the first three of those, but did win at Denver. And Paolo Bancaro has just been, you know, I don't want to say going crazy because it's been a slog (laughs) for him. It kind of has been, yeah. But 38% usage, he still has been above average in true shooting. Like, they've been scoring pretty well against teams that are not, like, totally hopeless defensively. I mean, getting that win in Denver, granted Denver on the second night of a back-to-back after an emotional win over the Warriors on the road, but they're able to make a comeback to outplay the Denver Nuggets in crunch time is no mean feat whatsoever. And Paolo, 38% usage these last two games, which is just a, a crazy high number. And I think we of already taken it for granted of just what a good ball handler this guy is at 610 like especially at the end of these games and particularly in the Sacramento game when it was him traveling queen and Suggs a center and Chumo KK he's he's bringing the ball up every time at 610 he's initiating every aspect of the offense he's willing his way to the foul line 33 free throw attempts in these two games and you know it is a little inelegant particularly because the team doesn't have a lot of spacing but he is creating enough for, for them to be in these games against good offensive teams at the end and you know the Sacramento game he hits the game tire at the end of single overtime after he lost the ball out of bounds and the referees overturned the call without a challenge to give Orlando the ball back and Sacramento was kind of still complaining I think and Paulo gets a back door for a, a layup at the rim and so like his touch isn't amazing but he's shooting the three and the mid-ranger like well enough to at least force teams to respect him they're running a lot of pick and roll at smaller players and then forcing help and he still is just you know he's a big body he's strong he can attack in transition uh he in the Phoenix game he's actually guarding Kevin Durant as well while, while Franz was still available and this is only this guy's second year for him to be playing and a young second year too i'm sorry and a young second year this isn't you know he didn't play four years in college or anything no i i agree and to just be 610 250 and this comfortable just attacking smaller players and backing down or facing the basket like yeah he doesn't have great touch around the rim his mid-ranger like will wax and wane same thing with his three-pointer though he'll take it now when the defense goes under on some of these screens that they try to run he'll run pick and roll at bigger players also i still think the best guy to guard him actually is a center uh and then he just whenever he sees the a lane to attack he'll get to the foul line and that's how you get these 33 attempts like he'll throw his body in there and yeah he's gonna get blocked sometimes like he's not gonna have amazing touch like he doesn't have big hands he can't get good extension he's got two hands on the ball a lot as a finisher but he's also 6'10 250 and that's its own currency even if you're not this uh, amazingly skilled crafty finisher uh, a couple other yeah. things to track from their win over the hawks on sunday one the return of marco fultz he's been battling tendonitis has been out a really long He's only, I think this is only the third game he's played in all year. It might be fifth. It's, it, it's a low number. Um, Fultz played 15 minutes, came off the bench, was not only 0 for 2 from the field, but 0 for 4 from the free throw line. We'll keep an eye on that. But because of some of the absences, I brought up how Goga Batadze is back in the starting lineup. Caleb Houston not only started the Hawks game, he made 7 of 14 threes, which he made. So he had almost half of Orlando's made threes in the entire game. So for a guy who was a second round pick out of Michigan, who's 
been on the fringes of the rotation to bump into that, but he gives them something that they don't really have, which is, you know, some movement shooting, but or also just shooting, shooting. Another guy who's just been awesome this year, I would say probably their second best player, even because Franz is having a little bit of a down year. I mean, in terms of just what he's done on the floor this year, I mean, Franz is obviously a better prospect, but Jalen Suggs, mm. is there another guard that you would take over him right now? Defensively? Yeah. No. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either, honestly. Because I mean, he can do so many down. things well, too. Like yeah. we, we haven't seen him switch on to like, you know, real like great wings or, or bigs in the playoffs necessarily. Like you, you still have to really make your reputation in the playoffs. But what I saw him do defensively against De'Aaron Fox and Jamal Murray, like Jalen Suggs is just like blowing up Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic pick and rolls by just getting over the screen. Like that never happened. Like those guys just have so much chemistry. They Kings, they basically decide, hey, Malik Monk, you're having a good game. You're going to run our offense uh, down the end. De'Aaron Fox hit one bucket on Queen. But other than that, they basically are like, ah, Suggs is on Fox. We'll just we'll just go somewhere else. Uh, uh, last year's Clutch Player of the Year shot 6-22. Uh, well, actually, you know, he might have scored one more late. But he, at one point, he was 6-22 in the overtime. And like Suggs is just that good. He gets through screens. He's a great off-ball defender. He competes. He gets every loose ball. Like He is... I really would be hard pressed to say, particularly just if you if you want one guy in the league to get over a screen defensively, he's the guy to me. He's been unbelievable, and he's shooting it well enough. Also, you know, like the hope when he was drafted, and I I supported them taking him there, and his offense hasn't quite come through. But he's been better offensively this year, and particularly shooting it at a totally adequate volume for how good of a defender he is from three. My thought was, hey, maybe he could like his ceiling is like a Cal Lowry type of player. And I don't know that he's ever going to become that level of shooter, but we didn't think Kyle Lowry was going to become a Kyle Lowry shooter. And he's not the level of pure point guard as Kyle Lowry either. But I mean, he is just like an unbelievably awesome. I mean, I'll I'll give you a different one. There was a reason why I thought Dante Exum's floor was higher than some did and it was the idea that he could be a really high level defender and then maybe make enough threes to be an off ball player. I think in many ways, Jalen Suggs has become the guy that I thought was that kind of possibility for Exum, where he can compete, can do all these other things well. And yes, you don't want Jalen Suggs to run your offense. He's good enough at other things that you don't have to have him that way. And maybe he's only 22. Maybe he can do that. I don't think Suggs is ever going to do that as a starter, like in starting and closing lineups. But maybe in some second units if you want to do it. But the reason why you don't want to play Jalen Suggs potentially in second units as much, I've talked about this with Gary Payton the second in the past, is because you want him blowing up the other team's best stuff. You don't want him out there. Yeah, you could completely demolish second unit offense by having Jalen Suggs out there. But generally, that would leave bigger threats going unresolved. Yeah, Bataze was back in the starting lineup today. Paolo played, had 35 points, 13 to 29 from the field. I didn't watch this game, obviously, uh, but uh, I did watch the last. And again, coming back, winning at home after basically four nail biters in a row on the West Coast, including a double overtime game. Yeah, it was against the Hawks, but still pretty solid. Oh, one one quick note, though. Wendell Carter is dealing with tendonitis. Now, 
whether that's preventing everything like that, but he is not playing in these games. It's not, a, it doesn't appear to be a DNP CD or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, he had been replaced by Batadze and now it seems like he's, yeah. you know, not, you know, he had the hand issue, obviously. And now it's, it's the knee. Just a so, couple of notes though. Go ahead. Uh, they did finally take Anthony Black out of the starting lineup. He'd been getting like the ultra bogans. You know, they're, they're playing guys like Queen, who's on a two way over him down the end of these games rather than, you know, your starting guard. It was even with Cole Anthony not available in that Sacramento game. And then Jet Howard, like, I, I haven't heard his name once in Summer League. I, like, how many minutes has Jet Howard played for the big team this season? I'm going to guess it's like under 20. 36. Yeah, not many. I mean, and that's no. to draft a guy number 11. And he wasn't like, a, he was, how many years did he play in college? Only like one. Only one but. Oh, it was only one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's remarkable that they had all of these injuries at guard and like didn't even look his way. What's like Gary Harris was out. Cole Anthony was out. Markel Fultz was out. They don't trust Anthony Black and, you know, they're going to like Chumo KK and Queen rather than bring up your number 11 overall pick. Like that's says something Be, uh, beyond you know, that. It's, it's not like Jet Howard is logging huge minutes in the G League. He's played three games for, for the, uh, the Lakeland Magic. He has played, you know, significant minutes, obviously, in those three. But it's not like he's, you know, on assignment. And you have to get all that. So, Nate, I'm going to call a little bit of an audible. I talked about how these okay. all these teams are there. You've done the heavy lifting on a lot of teams. So instead, all the lifting that you'll have to do for this next one is if you could give the Miami Heat stats. <laughs> yeah, they are 20 and 15, 5 and 4 since we last checked in on them. But given that they're on a West Coast road trip for most of that time and that Jimmy Butler, I think, has played, I think he maybe played one full game and then went back out with this uh, foot issue. It's now been called a right toy M, sorry, excuse me, right toe MP joint sprain which I actually don't know exactly where that is. Uh, but he will not play Monday against the Rockets, but it is not expected to be long-term apparently. So that's that's hopeful at least. But yeah, to be over 500 given they're on this trip without Butler in their last nine games, pretty good. Negative 0.1 net rating is 18th in the NBA, but of course they're a monster clutch team. They are 17th on offense, 13th on defense, projecting for the sixth seed, 47 wins, 93% chance of making the playoffs, which that seems, kind of high to me given that you know they're right in the same mix for with the 7 8 seed will go then go into the play-in uh one of the big reasons though that they've been so good is that Cal Lowry is improved at age 37 this season he has but it is important to note like that it's coming in a different way than his best years as a Raptor or anything else and it absolutely felt like Lowry's 57% true shooting last year was an aberration. He's been more in the 60% range. Incidentally, other than 18-19, that was a year where he had an inefficient regular season, but the Raptors had a pretty good postseason, if, if, for those of you who remember. But Lowry, he's doing it this year, you know, so his true shooting has gone up from that, as I mentioned, kind of seemed too low, 57% to 63, which is great. That, that would be, if it were over a full season, that would be actually be his career high narrowly over a couple different years. But it isn't happening by him becoming the player, you know, reestablishing that he was. His usage rate is almost comically low. 13.5%, this is the basketball reference version of the stat, is far and away the lowest of his career. But phrased a different way, Lowry's total usage is down to 27.1. This is the Seth stat. Some other players with total usage around 27, Kyle Anderson, Peyton Pritchard, Benedict Mathurin. This is not where Kyle Lowry used to be. So he's he, as I said, he's doing 
it in a different way. And getting into kind of like the shot profile yields some some pretty notable stuff. So despite that big drop in overall roll, Lowry's still taking roughly the same amount of threes per 36. You know, about he's doing a little less than six this year, a little more than six last year. But we're considering the usage drop within the range. Um, and he's making 43% of them so far. That's really, really good. Um, Lowry's career, 37% three-point shooter. He's mostly hovering in the high 30s. I think there's some regression there. But instead, the reductions in Lowry's role have come in terms of the amount of twos he takes and the amount of free throws that he takes. And that is, to an extent, a concern. And considering the free throw rate decline, it is concerning that only 11% of Lowry's attempts are coming in the restricted area. It's only down from 14, but that is still pretty low. And that we talked about his most efficient season of his career so far. He's making 48% of his floaters, which would be a career high. So one thing I wanted to ask you, I was talking about how his role has shifted. I brought, I pulled up in our in our notes both his synergy splits from last year and this year. What difference stands out the most to you? Oh, between last year and this year, I mean, he. It's interesting that he's actually doing a little bit less pick and roll this year than last year, despite the fact that they, if anything, have had fewer weapons available a lot of the time this year. But he has been just an amazing spot up threat. I mean, that that's been the biggest thing with that 43% three point shooting and then transition. He's never going to be efficient in transition because it's really more the hit ahead passes. He's well under a point per possession both of these years. So I I think it's relatively similar, I would say. But the fact that he's doing less pick and roll now than he was before, that's not surprising. But I think that's a good thing for him uh, because... Like that's he can still kind of throw his weight around defensively against bigger players and can shoot off the ball and throw some hit ahead passes and that's what he should be doing but he's I think the biggest stat for him is that he's third on the team in minutes like he's been healthy mm-hmm. yeah you know, hopefully these personal issues that had him out are uh, behind him from the last couple of years but for him to be healthy and just give them like competent starting point guard play has been so huge given hero being out Butler being out they just have not had anyone else who's been consistently available at the guard one other thing to mention lowry you brought up the pick and roll ball handling being low he also is passing more than he's shooting in those and so there's a separate synergy stat that tracks that 214 pick and rolls including passes and over a point per possession on that 70th percentile you know it's not 95th percentile but that is still positive for him and then notable that the heat offense is basically the same overall efficiency whether Lowry's on the floor or not it's a difference of a half a point per 100 per 100 possessions not too big there um they're also slightly worse eh, more than slightly worse in half court offense when he plays and this isn't damning Kyle Lowry but it, Jimmy Butler is the bigger delta in their offense. Like when when Lowry is on without Butler, Miami's Miami's offense is below 110 offensive rating, and it's basically 10 points worse than when Lowry and Butler are on there together. And then Jimmy Butler doesn't need Kyle Lowry to have good offense. The 121.5 offensive rating in those 423 possessions. Yeah. So Miami, I mean, they if they can get Butler back, if they can actually get their whole team, we've been talking about it for some time now that they have enough players that I think they could be pretty interesting this season. And I probably like them the best as a playoff team. Mm. And, and in history is any guide of these these teams that are all 20 and 15 right now. It's also a, a kind of a, a compelling question of like, if one of these teams that are in this block was going to play well enough for the rest of the year to like really challenge Philly and Milwaukee for the two or the three, maybe even Boston. 
I would pick Miami for that. You could make an argument for a lot of different teams in this group, but when you consider the Heat having been relatively unhealthy this year, having the track record, I'm pretty sure I would pick them, especially with the Cavs guys. Still, we know they're going to be out for a while longer. Yeah, well, we will talk about that tomorrow because Cleveland uh, has been playing reasonably well uh, of late uh, in the absence uh, of Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, but that is for another day. So thanks so much for checking out Dunked On. If you haven't given Dunked On Prime a try yet, I highly recommend giving it a shot as the trade deadline approaches. You can get every single episode with me and Danny. Uh, Some of them are are this level of detail some of them are gamers some of them we talk about the trade deadline the salary cap situations coming up we're going to do a trade deadline outlook of all 30 teams you also get daily dunks from dan feldman he'll write about the news of the day you get that in your inbox five days a week seth partner will write for us a couple of times a week as well uh, with his uh, unique analytics insight uh, having worked for the milwaukee bucks and of course you get access to every hollinger and duncan podcast as well Talk to y'all on Monday. Till then. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.